Well, good morning, good evening, good afternoon. We oh, are we are back from the holiday season. We yeah. hope you and your family had a great holiday season. And it, it has taken a little bit longer for us to get back on here than we expected. We had some I had I had some technical difficulties last week on on figuring out how we can go live with this Q and R. Yeah. But um, um, I'm still it's been a digital curse sweeping the land. <laughs> it's been a digital curse, yes. And um, but we are going to record this Q and R, and then obviously people that are listening to this will see that we just went ahead and posted it without going live. Um, and we're and then after the Q and R, we're going to start season two, and we're yeah, so yeah. excited about that of the McCraw podcast. And you will yeah. probably notice that brother AJ new studio, new setup. It is looking it is. good. If Amazing. you're listening, you should go check out our YouTube and see the new setup. I'm super excited about that. Um, but brother AJ, how you been? How you been doing? Great. Man, I've been uh been trying to figure out and build this studio and we're we're done. We Let's are go. gotta paint the outside, but that's pretty much it. I'm enjoying it. My my wife is very much enjoying it, so they don't have yeah. to leave the house now when we record. So <laughs> I love it. That's great. I love it. All, all is well in my way good deal good deal well we have uh several questions and i know uh, a lot of people posted different questions but some of them kind of coincide with each other so i narrowed it down to six or seven questions for us to go through um and uh so we're gonna just start right off with uh, question number one uh someone uh sent us a direct message and said i do have a question regarding episode three which is unleavened bread and it they said it definitely seems as if uh, leaven or yeast is looked through a negative lens throughout the Bible. I'm wondering how this relates to the parable of the leaven found in Matthew 13 and 33. Um, and then obviously uh, we can read that scripture, but um, they went on to say, did Jesus purposely use this as it was likely to sound contradicting to the Jews? And they said, I've heard this parable in both negative and positive ways. I tend to lean on the positive side where yeast is an active ingredient that is alive and works all throughout the kingdom of God. Curious to our thoughts on this. Yeah. Brother, Brother AJ, what's your thoughts on this? Yeah, this is a great question. Uh, and it makes me happy to see that people are doing what we hoped that they would, would do with the inception of this podcast which is making mental connections from one biblical episode to the next. So right. whoever sent this question is doing what Bible scholars and uh, people who read the Bible in a narrative way, what they do, they're finding everywhere that yeast or leaven crops up and they are making the connections. And uh, what this person ran into is what theologians and scholars run into is what do you do when leaven seems to contradict itself now? Because uh, if you recall episode three, we talked about unleavened bread and, you know, the leaven being a type of sin. And that's why they would eat unleavened bread on that day. So nothing to puff up. You know, we talked about piercing the bread and all of that good stuff. So, yeah, what do we do with that? Because the parable that they sent from Matthew 13, 33, it says the kingdom of heaven is like yeast. So there it is. There's like the the opposite end. So if they took leaven out of the bread, but now Jesus is saying that the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. In this instance, uh, here's, here's the response. And this is a Q and R, not a Q and a, yeah. just because I, I'm, a, I'm afraid of, you know, 
I don't want to say afraid, but I want to, I want to stay humble. This Bible is very deep, very complex. And I don't want to assume that I've always got an answer. So we have a response. Yeah, there you go. So in this instance, though, Jesus is making use of a form of literary communication, which is called metaphor. And a metaphor heavily relies on context. It, it does in English. It relies on context in Hebrew, any language. Metaphor is a form of communication, and it always relies on the context. The Bible does this quite a lot. In fact, I'll give you an example. The adversary is referred to by Peter as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. A lion is used as a metaphor in this context, and it's immediately thought of in the negative sense. So when Peter's talking about the adversary, we're obviously using the metaphor of a lion in the negative because we're spe he's speaking of the adversary. So what comes to the mind of the audience when they hear lion as it pertains to the adversary, they're going to think of all the negative things. Uh, the laying in wait to destroy, the opportunistic nature of a lion, the lion who waits for a weaker animal to break away from the herd, etc. That's what the brain is activated with because the context has led you to the negative sides of that metaphor. Yeah. But the Bible also says that God is the lion of the tribe of Judah. So now you're kind of like, well, I thought the adversary was as a roaring lion, but God is the lion of the tribe of Judah. How can, how can both be true? It's metaphor. We know that a lion out there is not actually the devil. We know that a lion is not actually God. This is biblical metaphor. So in the metaphor where it talks about God being the lion of the tribe of Judah, all of the positive attributes of the lion should now be meditated upon. It's majestic and grand nature. It being preeminent within the ancient plains above all other animals, etc., Fire. Let's use that one now. Fire is used as a metaphor and in the context of hell. They'll, they'll talk about uh, hell and they'll use fire metaphor. When we hear hell and fire used together, the negative thoughts come to mind because of the context. Hell is the context. So every negative idea associated with fire, destruction, pain, misery, those things come to mind. But fire can also be used in the Bible for God's presence. In the context of Matthew 13, 33, the leaven is used in the context of the kingdom. We, the reader, have to now dwell on, so the context is heaven, and Jesus is using leaven to, as a metaphor to speak of heaven. So let's think of all the positive things that uh, leaven will do. Uh, it starts off small, but then it expands and it completely transforms what it comes in contact with. See, Jesus is wanting us to make those connections. So somebody in the congregation who is just like die hard, just like, no, leaven is bad. Jesus would look at us and be like, it's a metaphor. You know, it's like fire is bad, but it's also a part of my presence. Snakes are bad based on your theology. But I told Moses to raise a snake up on a staff, and anybody who looked upon it would be healed. Wow. Yeah. You see, so we have to, context determines meaning. Context is a big deal of biblical studies. Now, Jesus uses leaven as a positive here in Matthew 13, 33. But now let's look at Luke 12, 1. Jesus warns of the leaven of the Pharisees 
And he tells us what the leaven is. It's hypocrisy. Jesus has cued us into the way we should meditate on his words when he said, beware. So I, when I, I teach hermeneutics at uh, Texas Bible College, and what I tell them is like, you need to look at every word in that sentence. When Jesus said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, Jesus has highlighted and said, okay, I'm about to use a metaphor. Now that I've used the word beware, I'm cueing you in to think about this metaphor in the negative sense. I know I've already told you in Matthew 13 about heaven being the leaven. Well, I told you that in the positive sense. So meditate on all the good things of leaven because of the context. Now meditate on all the bad things of the leaven because of the context here. So that's the response to that. And I, I hope that that is satisfactory yeah. to ever sent this in. Like, good question, because this is this is what we run into. Right. And this is where we stop. We go get a cup of coffee. Yeah. And we just sit and we think about it all day long. That's just that's a little sidetrack. This is why Jesus spoke in parables. Right. I know a lot of people will say that Jesus, you know, Jesus was using object lessons when he spoke in parables. That's actually not true. Jesus was using parables is often less clear by using parables. In fact, the Pharisees said, stop speaking in parables. Just tell us straight. Yeah. <laughs> tell us what yeah. you mean. Right. Why then did Jesus use parables and not just say what he needed to say? Because when Jesus speaks in parables, it demands of us meditation. And Jesus really wanted investment on our part. Wow. So that's, that's why there, it's a lot of work, but I think, I think Christ is worth it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, wow. Uh, question number two, what scripture would you give someone to prove you need the Holy ghost, uh, with evidence of speaking in tongues? Okay. So let me, let me just take the on ramp right here. This is my personal conviction. So someone listening, take, take this as it is, may not be yours, but it is mine. I personally, I'm going to highlight personal unless someone get ticked off at me who is <laughs> hardcore. So hear my every word. I personally don't think it's wise to set out with someone to prove anything of yeah. any depth through one scripture. Because here's why I have that conviction. Because one, it diminishes the beauty and complexity of whatever that topic may be. Tongues, glory, sanctification, justification. Two, it's leaving a lot of other supporting scripture on the table that were intended to work alongside other passages. Yeah. Um, again, we're obviously... Hopefully we've kind of established it by now that the heartbeat behind Mikrah is really the narrative side of the Bible, since over 47% of their Bible is narrative. Using that, could you really explain to somebody the entire plot of a movie using one movie line? No. No. In fact, the director might be frustrated and be like, geez, like, watch the movie. Right. I gave you the whole movie. Watch all of that. So to whoever sent this, I love the intention behind it um, because I've had this goal. Like, what is the one hit wonder? And the more I have conversations with actual people, 
it just never resonates until we really have a sit down. So this this brings up a little bit of a, a raw spot for me. Yeah. I when I was raised, we had like 20 week Bible studies. And I watched over the years being raised in church that we diminished it down to the Holy Ghost in two lessons. Wow. And I've watched it get shorter and shorter and shorter. And it it's really devastating to me because when you just go through line upon line and you watch the movie, you get a deep appreciation and you're not moving. So the response would be, there's some really good just one-off scriptures, but they're still connected to other scriptures and those scriptures are connected to other scriptures. So I would say, don't try to prove anything to anybody using one scripture, develop a relationship with that person. And this is not an answer or response. This is just kind of biblical wisdom. Develop a relationship with that person and take the time. Because when when they see it from Genesis to Revelation, there's no moving it at that point. But if you just hit them with one, Acts 2.38. Yeah. What's going to happen later down the road is if they never study anything else out, they're going to walk away like, I don't know, that's just one scripture. You know, out of the mouth of two or three, let it be established. And you only gave me one. I don't know if that's going to do it for me. But if you can show them definitively, that's my experience. That's what what's what happened to me after. And I guess I'm going to get a little background to myself. After my son passed away, I doubted everything. Yeah, I really did. And here's why I doubted everything. This is my personal testimony. A lot of people know this is because, you know, I was told, plead the blood, plead the blood of your family and they'll be safe. Well, I. I pled the blood every single day. That's a principle though. Plead the blood. That phrase is not in the Bible anywhere. So when I studied that, I was like, oh my God, I've been lied to. What else have they lied to me about? And so rather than throwing everything in the trash, I studied it. I read my Bible eight hours a day. I read it once a month. I I read the entire Bible through every month for a year. And man, I'll tell you what, I started pulling everything that I doubted off the shelf and put it back into my spirit because I saw it for myself. And after I'd exhausted everything, I started learning Hebrew. I went to Jerusalem University and started studying there. And bro, it's just there. And I saw speaking in tongues. I saw it in Genesis 3. I saw it in Genesis 11. I saw it in Exodus 19. I I saw it in... um, Ezekiel, I've seen it in Isaiah 6. That's that's what I'm saying in all of them. For me, it's like, watch the movie. Don't just take a don't take a meme from the movie and say you you know it. Watch the movie. It's remarkable and it just it te- it says what it says. I know that that's probably not what this person wants to hear, but I'm gonna be bold to say it's it's true nonetheless. Yeah. Don't just throw one scripture and say, this is why we do it. And, and this is uh, why you need to do it. Um, like you said, the, the whole, the Holy, the Holy ghost and tongues, you saw it in the old Testament. Is that what you're saying? Yes. And so you, there was more than just one scripture and acts of how in the upper room experience it, you could see prophecy and stuff leading up to why it is important. Yeah. So don't take the buff anything just off one scripture. Go sit down with someone, 
make the make them fall in love with the don't make them but you know help them fall in love with the word of god and show them from how the old testament parallels with the new testament it leads up to the holy spirit and people being filled with tongues um that that's that's great wisdom that biblical wisdom just for anybody even if it's just me i need i to build a connection with someone is to actually spend time with someone, spend time yeah. with them. Um, and, and, and y'all work through scriptures together and don't just sit down and say, you know, what, I, what I, what I don't like when, if someone comes to me and I've had this happen, especially I'm in youth ministry. So student, Hey, can I just sit down with you over coffee and let's just, let's just do a Bible study. I'm like, great, we can, but I'd like to spend maybe once one day a week for like eight weeks and let's go through the whole Bible. Um, yeah. because through the process, I'm building a relationship with them. And also through the process, I'm hoping they're falling in love with the word of God. Um, because they'll see so much more than just one scripture, why we believe what we believe. Well said. Uh, that's, that's, that's very good. Very good. Um, the next question is, uh, I have a question that I've been searching for quite some time. Um, after the Ark of the Covenant was taken from the temple, it was never returned. How did temple worship continue after death after that did the priest continue to sprinkle the blood in the holy of holies um and then they they kind of add on to this but if you want to answer that first part yeah so the sender of this question said they'd been searching for quite a while yeah and that's because there just isn't a lot out there and yeah. um, so i have personally talked to three jewish sources and i've had this question too you know, there's the, there's the little gaps. For example, you know, what, what happens in Jesus's life from age 12 to 30 when he steps onto the scene? Like, where, where's that record? We, we don't know. The Bible wasn't concerned with telling us. The Bible just it wasn't the Bible's motivation to tell us those things. But nonetheless, I have spoken to uh, three, three Israeli individuals since I've wondered this as well, and everything that they've said all coincided, they had told me that now this is obviously oral history. This is a this is a response. This is definitely being based off of what's passed down from generation to generation. So take that as it is. Don't take this as a law. Okay. It's pretty solid, but it's still it's passed down. Okay. Uh, the foundation stone that the Ark of the Covenant was sitting on, um, mind you, this is Second Temple period, Second Temple Judaism. So the foundation stone that that Ark of the Covenant was sitting on is where the priest would come and do his work. According to the sources that I spoke to, the Second Temple lacked five things present. The Ark of the Covenant the sacred fire falling from heaven on the sacrifice, the Shekinah glory cloud, the Urim and the Thummim, which the high priests wore in their garments to help discern you know, the will of God, and five, the spirit of prophecy, which ceased after Malachi. So the Holy of Holies in the second temple lacked these things which were present in the first temple. So when, when you hear scholars say second temple Judaism, it's around that time where the second temple was, was you know rebuilt, rededicated, but they had no Ark of the Covenant. That was taken and now is missing. So the question is, what were they doing? Where were they sprinkling the blood? These Jewish resources told me that what the priest was doing to maintain the custom 
was they would go into that holy place and where the ark was sitting, they would sprinkle the blood on that stone. That's what they would do. The most important, obviously, was the Ark of the Covenant and the Shekinah glory. But the prophet um, Haggai said that the glory of the latter house, the second temple, would be greater than the glory of the former house, the first temple. So either he was a false prophet or this prophecy was fulfilled in Jesus, the Messiah. So he must have been referring to Jesus as the second temple being better than the first one. Because obviously the, the second temple had no had no glory. There was no Ark of the Covenant. There was no Shekinah glory. No Urim, no Thummim, no spirit of prophecy. So what was this prophet talking about? Well, John clears it up when he says that the word became flesh and dwelled. The word dwelled is the Greek word for tabernacle. And we beheld his glory, the only begotten son. They saw the glory of God on the new tabernacle. Jesus was the latter house that was greater than the former house. So maybe this is a cue in. Again, this is a response. Was that what Jesus was poking fun at when he said, I am the foundation stone? Why wow. the foundation stone? Again, that's a... That's a response. Yeah, that's not written. But but, but meditate on that. We yeah. do know that they didn't have an ark, and they were carrying out the custom. And these Jewish sources told me that the priests would go into that Holy of Holies and sprinkle the blood on the foundation stone. Now, today, you want to know where that foundation stone's at? Yeah, hey, I was about to ask. Do we know where it's at? Yeah, it's sitting right there in the Dome of the Rock. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, sitting right there in Israel, right across from the, uh, just just across from the Wailing Wall. So the, 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 the part two to this question is, were their sins never rolled back for hundreds of years? How did that pertain? Tell no. Yeah, we don't know, do we? Um, and I guess part three to this question is, well, did the temple become a tradition now with no real substance, no presence of God? Sure. Yeah. Sure. Now, I think that it's just, it's a lot more complicated than that. I believe there were some priests that just came in and was just doing the priestly thing just because this is what daddy did. This is what I do. But we do have record that there were some good priests that just sincerely, it's, they didn't, it wasn't their fault. There was no work of the covenant, deep, sincere. Right. And I think that that helps us meditate on the motive. It's really easy to point a finger and be like, oh, they're traditional. You don't know their motive. Right. Go and sit down with them and ask them why they're doing that. So it's it's really easy to speculate. For some, guaranteed. There there had to have been some that were just doing it purely out of tradition. This is what we do out of rote memorization. But there, there I have to believe there was some priests that were genuinely sincere. Were going in and just said, I wish there was a Ark of the Covenant. I wish there was a mercy, but there's not. And I, I want to do this priestly thing. Wow. And lo and behold, Jesus shows up. We know this because we've got some pretty pretty bad Pharisees. Got some Nicodemuses. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It, it's hard to just draw a stark line. We just, I think Samuel learned this lesson the best. Because God told Samuel, he says, man looketh on the outside. But I'm looking on the heart. Right. I know what's really going on. So, 
This is a good question. And these are the the questions that we just kind of, we lean into. I wasn't concerned with telling us. It was really, really passionate about showing us that the ark was taken. And that is a narrative tension that's set up. So let's, let's look at what we do know. There is no glory. We can't find that in Second Temple Judaism. There is no Shekinah glory. There is no mercy seat. That's a really good setup for John to say, and the word became flesh in tabernacle amongst us, and we beheld his glory. The tabernacle is here, and it wasn't made with a priest's hands. It was, it was made in heaven, and here he is. That's what the Bible did give us. Well, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, good question, though. Yeah, it is. Um, question number five, I've had someone tell me that the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven are not the same thing. And Matthew, who seems to be uh, the only writer to use the, key, the term kingdom of heaven, Mark mirrors that account, by, but instead calls it the kingdom of God. My question is, are they the same? Is this a representation of heaven itself? Okay, so this has come up a lot over the years. Um, I'll say this, like spending time with, with theologians, different ones, and then coming out of those circles, there's a lot of things that just aren't debated within theological circles um, because they've been settled and everyone pretty much agrees. And it hasn't been sell- settled in the non-academic sector. So it's a little jarring at times. This, this position has been settled within uh, scholarly circles. So it's clear, obviously, that both phrases are referring to the same thing. The phrase kingdom of God, it occurs 68 times in 10 different uh, Second Testament books, while kingdom of heaven occurs only 32 times. We do have authoritative scripture that they are synonymous through the words of Jesus. Jesus said they're the same thing. So if the person who told you they're not the same thing, Jesus said they are. For example, when Jesus was speaking to the rich young ruler, Jesus uses kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God interchangeably. It says, then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. In the very next verse, Jesus proclaims, again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. That's verse 24. So it's not even far apart. It's one verse where Jesus uses them the exact same way. Kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God are synonymous. He make, Jesus makes no distinction between the two terms, but he considers them both one and the same thing. Yeah. yeah. I actually, uh, last night, I've been teaching a series at our local church, and I, I used this. Um, I, I did a little, little fun little thought project. I just... In the congregation, I said, you know, when I say the word coffee, what do you think of? You know, one person said roast, another person said bean, another person said cherry, another person said Starbucks, another person said espresso. And I stopped him. I said, okay, one word just activated the location where you get coffee, Starbucks. What the coffee's made from, a bean. The origin, the cherry. The way you brew it, espresso. The way it's roasted dark all of these are one thing you it activated with one word coffee now we could take a hard stance coffee is not espresso coffee is a literal bean yeah 
yeah. coffee is espresso. Right. It's not spelled the same. You don't get espresso without the coffee bean. Right. Cherry's not coffee. We don't get coffee beans without, without the cherry. cherry. Right. So this is one of those instances where they can say one thing and it mean a litany of different things. Wow. Yeah. Um, question number six. I have a question on this verse, Isaiah uh, 12 and 2. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid for... Yeah, the Lord is my strength in song. In song, He also has become my salvation. And they really? said, "Can this verse read as Yahweh has become Yeshua?" So this is a powerful scripture in reference to the importance and power of the name of Jesus. Yeah, but their their question specifically is, "Can this verse read as Yahweh has become Yeshua in Hebrew?" Um, no. No, it is a powerful scripture, and man, I'm so glad somebody found that that scripture. Yeah. That's you. Most people give up in, in Isaiah somewhere early. <laughs> made it to chapter 12. twelve. Well done, question asker. This is this is great. I love all of these questions. By the way, these yeah. are just people out there so smart. Um, can this verse read as Yahweh has become Yeshua? Yeshua? That is stretching the text out. It's it's spreading it really thin, which is dangerous. Yeah. So I've, I've heard elders say things about me, such as, man, that boy has become a good little preacher. <laughs> you know, I heard my grandpa say that about me, man, son, you become a good little preacher. <laughs> my name has not changed to the good preacher. Right. I am still AJ. Right. My reputation with my grandfather has changed. You see, he formerly evidently thought I was a terrible preacher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And yeah. so my name is still AJ. Right. But my reputation, good little preacher, with him has changed. So the rest of that passage goes on to say, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For Yah the Lord is my strength and song. He has also become my salvation. Therefore, with joy, we will draw water from the wells of salvation. And in that day, you will say, Praise the Lord, word Lord there is Yahweh. Call upon his name, declare his deeds among the peoples, make mention that his name is exalted. Wow. Name right here can refer. So when you see the word uh, Shem or name, Shem is the Hebrew word for name. When you, that's why they call him Hashem. It just means the name. It, it can refer not just to your actual name, but your reputation. Yeah. Okay. We we do this in English. Well, he's made a good name for himself. You right. see what I mean? Yeah. His reputation in those days will be Yahshua, which in Hebrew is Yah is salvation. So that's why I said, great question. Um, but it, it's we're stretching it. We can't say that Yahweh has become Yahshua. Yeah. Yahweh's reputation has become salvation. So that's why his name was Yahshua. Got translated to Greek as Isus. Isus got translated to English as Jesus. So I've had a lot of people come to me and be like, how can we don't baptize in the name of Yahweh? I looked at him and said, you do. Yeah. yeah. Jesus, the Yah, the J in Jesus is yeah it's 
it's Yahweh. It's the short form of his name. Yeah. And you're saying Yahweh is salvation. That's what you're saying. That's what Jesus means. And that's why Paul said that there is salvation in no other name. Yeah. So a lot of other people have said too of, you know, well, we need to, we need to use the original name, Yahashua. And I look at them and say, well, then Peter and Paul and all of them were wrong because they used the Greek form of the name Isus when they wrote their letters. Wow. They are the ones who wrote Isus. Yeah. They changed it because of the audience. We're speaking to Greek people. They don't speak Hebrew, so we need to speak their language. And Yahashua, which is our language, is Isus in their language. Well, guess what? We're speaking in North American English churches. Yeah. And Isus becomes Jesus in English. It is the same in all three languages. It carries the same thing. Jesus means Yahweh saves. Yeah. So going back to the question, you are like, oh, yeah, Yahweh, rather than saying Yahweh has become Yeshua, your question is still there. Look at it this way. Yahweh's reputation has become salvation. Wow. Look at it. Read it that way. Yeah. Wow. His name didn't change. Yeah, his name didn't change. Um, wow. That's one of those you just want to meditate on for a second. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Go get some coffee. Yeah. Question number seven. Now, everyone buckle up. I need everyone mm -hmm. to lean in for a second and, and, and buckle up on this question. Um, who, what were the Nephilims? How do you say that? The Nephilim. Nephilim. Okay. How do these coincide with gods and goddesses? Um, I'll just let you take it from there. Uh, whatever you want to say with this question. Oh, uh, we we talked briefly about this in the uh, green room. Yeah. Before the recording button was pushed. <laughs> uh, yeah, man. There's mixed. There's mixed um, feelings on this question. I've I've responded to people and they've like flat out told me I was insane. And other people are like, oh, that's cool. And then other people will go way off the deep end with it. I've yet to see anybody just be balanced with it. So again, I said it a little earlier. I'm going to say this again. There are things within academic circles that are just settled. It's not even weird. It's it's not debated. It's not like you're a moron. Hebrew scholars just... They agree it is what it is. So where they're getting this, the theology of Nephilim, it comes from Genesis 6. So again, I'm going to say things. Somebody listening is probably going to think I'm wacko. That's okay. It is what it is. But Genesis 6, it says what it says in Hebrew. I wish people could read Hebrew. They read it in English and they come up with a lot of ideas. So are you okay if I just take a little bit of time on this one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Go Again, ahead. There's, going back to one of the questions, there's no one hit wonder with this. You got to gotta exegete. So right. let's look at the word really quick. Before I get to this question, we got to build a foundation to respond to the question on. So if I just respond without building the foundation, then it'll all crumble apart. So let's look at the word in English, God. Okay. When I say God, what comes to mind with an evangelical is obviously God of gods. The Godhead comes to mind, the one sitting on the throne, 
one become flesh, dwelling amongst us, deity incarnate. You know, that's what comes to mind. But that's not what comes to mind when a Jew hears the word God. It's not what they're thinking of. They, their word is Elohim. So Elohim is a very generic word, very generic word. It does not carry the brevity in Hebrew that it does in English. Because again, we are post Jesus. So the word God carries a lot of weight. So would it be like, um, they're a God of something? Wait, was yeah. it how the Jewish culture would they're, see, uh, like you could be a God of something, but not talking about the God, the way, correct. We, the way we perceive it. Correct. There's no article there, the Elohim. Right. Think of it this way. Think of Elohim as a spiritual being. Okay. Here's what helps. Here's where we've messed up. We call Elohim angels, but that's not, an angel is not what they are. They could be a an, God. An angel is an Elohim. Right. But a, an angel is not a thing. It is a job. Angel is something they do. The word angel in Hebrew is malach. It means messenger. That's not what they are. That's what they do. For example, somebody look at me and say, you're a preacher. And I would say, no, I'm a human. Yeah. Human is what I am. Preaching is what I do. Yeah. You see that that's so angel. We're saying it, but we're using a different word. When we call a spiritual being something, we call it an angel, but Jews call it an Elohim. So somebody, you know, will ask me, well, what about the scripture that says, uh, I am God alone and beside me, there is none other. Okay. Gladly answer that one. That is talking, that is a, uh, an idiomatic phrase. That is, he's not literally saying beside me, there are no spiritual beings. I'll give you an example. The Bible does this in another place. It says, this is the great city of Nineveh and beside Nineveh, there is no other. Well, there were, there were dozens of other cities in that region. Nineveh wasn't the only city. What they were saying is none compares to Nineveh's uh, economy and splendor. It's, a, it's an idiomatic phrase. It is saying about God, none compares to him. He is the only one. Right. He is, the, he, he is an Elohim as well. He's a spiritual being. So this ties back to Genesis 1. Let us make man in our image. Why the plural language there? What he's doing is he's looking at his heavenly host of, of Elohim, and he's looking at them and said, okay, we all have free will being. Let's make a human like that, but with some skin on him. Right. And then the next verse, so God created man in his image. No other, no other Elohim participated. So to prove this, uh, when the witch of Endor calls forth uh, Samuel, the Bible calls him an Elohim. Wow. But you don't see that in English. Yeah. You see the word spirit. But the Bible in Hebrew called him Elohim. So in Genesis 6, where it said the sons of God came down and took the daughters of men. So the word there, sons of God, is Hebrew, ben Elohim. Mm -hmm. Son of is another idiomatic phrase. It means you're of the order or classification of that thing. For example, a Jew would look at me and you and say, you are sons of the UPC. Yeah. And we would be like, my daddy's not UPC. And they'd yeah. be like, no, you're of the order. 
Yeah. You're of that classification because someone listening, United Pentecostal Churches who Levi and I are affiliated with. Right. That's the illustration I'm using. But they do this in the Bible. They call them sons of the prophet. Well, their daddies weren't prophets. They were saying you're of the order or classification of the prophets. Wow. So Ben Elohim is saying you are the sons of Elohim. You are of the order of those spiritual beings. And they came down and they slept with the daughters of Adam, man. Adam just means human mankind. Right. So what's going on here? Well, again, this part will be a response. Okay. Yeah. The most common theology, and I want to stress that, the most common theology, the most taught theology during Second Temple Judaism was that the spiritual beings rebelled. And I've had people tell me, angels don't have a free will. Well, then what in the world did Satan do? Yeah, yeah. That Anyway, they, they rebelled. Jews believe in three falls, by the way. The fall in Genesis. Genesis 6 is the second fall in their theology. The third fall is Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel. So... I, I could spend probably eight weeks on this alone. Wow. But they came down historically. This is, again, oral tradition being passed down. They came down the mountain of Mount Hermon, which to this day is called the gates of hell. It's called the gates of hell. Wow. So these beings, these spiritual beings came down Mount Hermon, and they took these women and essentially uh, raped them. Mm. So Jews believe that's where the demonic came from. That is the fulfillment of when Jesus or God spoke to uh, the serpent said, your seed shall have enmity against her seed. What's the seed of Satan? Demon. Guess what the Greek word demon is? The Greek word for demon is daimonion. It means demigod. Wow. Half-breed. Yeah. That's the word Paul uses. So somebody somebody listening to like, bro, you're going off the deep end. Why does Peter say this, though, in his epistle? He said, if God did not spare the angels who got out of their natural order, but locked them in chains of gloomy darkness, if he did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah and his righteous soul, will he not also judge the wicked? Mm -hmm. What is Peter talking about? If God did not spare the angels who got out of their natural order, what's, what's Peter referencing? Yeah. Jude. Why does Jude talk about it? That they are trapped in chains of gloomy darkness. So the new Testament authors are very comfortable with this theology. They're very, very comfortable with it. So now juxtapose these spiritual beings against Jesus. Yeah. So somebody recently said, they're like, man, that's just too weird. I can't accept the fact that these spiritual beings came down and took took the women. That I, I can't see that. And I told them, I said, well, then what do you do about the Immaculate Conception where the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary? Right. The difference is those spiritual beings took these women without their consent and it was like a this is historical and it's also referenced by peter but raped them 
Now look at what the angel does. The angel comes as a, a mediator. The Jewish custom of marriage was that the father would send a mediator to um, kind of bring the marriage of a woman and a son together. This angel does that when he meets Mary and tells Mary the plan of God. And Mary says, let all that you have said be done unto me. Wow. God was never going to overshadow Mary until Mary said, be it unto me. Right. He's a perfect gentleman. He does not do things the way the rebels do. He is right. perfect. Now look at, I can't remember, it was Paul. Paul said, when desire has conceived, it births sin. And when sin is full grown, it bringeth about death. The word conceived there, when desire has conceived, that word conceived is the Greek word for rape. Oh, my word. When, when desire, it, it is still happening. People are like, so are there still spiritual beings coming down and, and doing this? Not the way it happened in Genesis 6. Yeah. But desire comes around us. And it's like, come on, just, why don't you just do some Coke? You know what I'm saying? It's yeah. like, you're depressed. This will make you feel better. Come on, just just do it. And they, right. they do. What they don't realize is that desire does, couldn't care less about you. Yeah. So after you're addicted and you lose your job, you lose your family, you all this terrible stuff happens to you, it walks off and it says, get yourself out of it. I'm disgusted with you. I just wanted this fleeting pleasure for a moment. I didn't actually want to be in covenant with you. Right. Sin still does this. Wow. And it leaves you pregnant. And this man of sin doesn't want to help you take care of what is birth now, which is death. And you're all excited. Well, at least I'm going to get some enjoyment out of it. I'm going to birth a baby. Well, when desire has raped you and it bringeth about sin, when sin is full grown, full term, it's stillborn. Mm. It produced nothing. Sin, look around you. Look at politics. Sin is in bed with everybody. Yeah. And then leaving them. Wow. Sin told the social media influencer, if you get a million followers, you'll be happy. Yeah. They get a million followers and looks at them and says, but you're still overweight. And people look at what they're saying in the comments. They hate you. And it just leaves you with this guilt and this disgust. Never wants to provide for you. God, on the other hand, sits by and asks permission. Will you let me enter covenant relationship? Wow. I'll tell you what you're worth. That's, that's why that theology matters. Yeah. You don't see the ugliness of sin. So I know the question, you know, is how do these coincide with gods and goddesses? The actual Jewish mindset is that these beings, these Nephilim that were produced, the Nephilim was the the produce, the half-breeds. Yeah. This is Jewish, Jewish uh, theology. Second temple Jewish theology, most common taught faith, the most common taught thing, more than the Messiah, this was taught. Are you serious? Yes. Wow. So what they're looking for is someone. So let, let me say this. The Nephilim are dead. The actual representation, the actual beings. Yeah. The spirit isn't. The spirit is still raping. Mm. It's still producing stillborns. 
it still laughs and scoffs you. People don't hate sin enough, man. Yeah. They just don't hate sin enough. I'm like, if you can really see what sin is and what it does to you, how it takes you, has its way with you, and then just leaves you with the baggage, I mean, we would serve Christ. That's why the author of Hebrews, knowing this background, was like, how can you deny so great a salvation? Jesus is a perfect gentleman. Meanwhile, Christ is sitting over there. So knowing the history, do you know where Jesus was standing when he said, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail? You know where he was at? He was at Mount Hermon. He went to the place where the rebellion started. Wow. He said, I'm going to build my church right here where those rebels came down and messed all this up. I don't care if it actually happened or not. That's not a, that doesn't change my, my view of who Christ is one bit. Right. Right. Doesn't matter. These authors are quoting it. It's the same as if I preached about um, Thanos in a message and I use Thanos. Thanos isn't real. Right. The narrative is though. And that narrative can be a carrier for what I'm talking about in a sermon. So I'm not asking somebody to believe all that. I am asking somebody to know all the history of that so that you can understand the power of what Christ came to do. Wow. That's really good. So there's a lot more in that. I wish I could take eight weeks to break that down. And I realize that that will not satisfy everybody and somebody will get rubbed raw with me. And that's, that's just the case when it comes to biblical things. We all have our stance and that's okay. Take your stance. But let me say this. We need to learn how to reason together again. Yeah, that's true. I was going to say something like that. Yeah, we're, we're losing our ability to reason. What we do is we just like, we pick our sides against uh, somebody. Let's just, let's, let's learn how to agree to disagree again. Right. Well, and this is what this podcast is, the McCraw, like we're, we're on each other's side. We're supposed to be on, our, on the same team. We're against sin. Um, yes. And, and so look, we're, we're here to fall in love with the word of God together to read scriptures and. Um, and Brother AJ comes from a great perspective of knowing the original language and can pull out different historical contexts with the Bible. So that's why I love this podcast is um, we're on the same team here. We're supposed to be learning together and getting different insights. Um, but uh, that was that was a fantastic point of view. And I'm sure you could probably and it's oh, hard. It, it's hard to if whoever this question came from, it's hard to do this on a podcast in such a short time. And there will be some people that just maybe just see a clip of this and not get the full context. But um, stuff like those type questions are be almost best just one-on-one -on -one, teaching Bible studies and kind of going through it. Um, or people that are really want to know that question, you could spend a lot of time on it. Sure. Um, we talked about doing an entire series yeah. on that in the future, which I think would be beneficial. Yeah. Yeah. I did too. We could. we could talk about that for quite a while. It's important. It really is. It, it helps. We need to understand there is a... There is a spirit realm. I love what C.S. Lewis did in the Chronicles of Narnia. If you really pay close attention to the book, uh, the main protagonists, they go through the wardrobe and they're, they're walking, you know, <laughs> they're from the land of Spa'um, but they're, they, they're living in this, this world and they're the whole book. They're like, I can't believe this is real. This, I can't believe this was beyond the wardrobe. What C.S. Lewis was doing was in a fairy tale way, 
he was trying to prove Christianity. And he's like, guys, there's a, there is another realm on the other side of this one that you're going to have to believe exists. And he calls uh, the Bible the truest fiction. C.S. Lewis coined that phrase. It is the truest fiction. It is, there is another world. Uh, Michael Heiser, Dr. Michael Heiser, he was one of my professors, which is where my background in this, this study comes from. World-renowned scholar on this topic. He, um, he references, and obviously I don't agree with this show, but he does make a good parallel with it. He said, think about hell as stranger things. Think, think about the spirit realm actually as stranger things. It's our world upside down and it's the dark version of everything you're looking around and seeing. He's like stranger things is closer to the actual spirit realm than you think. Now, I don't know anything about stranger things. So that's take that as it is, but yeah, he has actually a book where he bears the gospel to stranger things. Really? Yeah. Huh. It's interesting. Yeah. Um, he's talking about the spirit realm as the upside down version of this world, the dark side. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we could take couple weeks or eight weeks or whatever how many do a whole season on this uh it'd be beneficial i think I, that I, if I people saw it in hebrew they would really they would have a hard time not believing it which is where i'm at right because the bible says it pretty clearly pretty pretty clearly so the hebrew word for demon is shadim and the bible refers to the giants in Hebrew, it calls them the Shadim. So, you know, when you see things like that in Hebrew, it, you know, we have a, we have a phrase in English. I said what I said, it, it's saying what it's saying, but where our debates come from is the black and white version, which is English. The movie's great in black and white. Please understand. I've watched the movie all my life in black and white, but when you watch it in Hebrew and you add ultra high definition and you it doesn't change what you saw in black and white, but it, it enhances it. You're seeing every blade of grass. Yeah. Every little subtle color. And that's where like in, in academics, this question, it's not even, it's not debated. Nobody looks at it, somebody across the table with a, like a weird look because they're all reading it in the original text and nobody is off their rocker for saying things. It's just like, oh yeah, that's, I will say this. Why does the book of Psalms say that Yahweh stands amongst the gods and judges them? Why does he do that? What is he doing? And he looks at the gods. Again, word Elohim. Yahweh is, there's many Elohim, but there's only one Yahweh. You see, there's. Yeah, the yeah, yeah. Michael is an Elohim. Uh, these are all Elohim. Uh, Gabriel is an Elohim. An Elohim, uh, that means basically spiritual figure? Just a spiritual being. Yeah. 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 As, when we die and are resurrected with our heavenly glorified body, we will be Elohim. That's, that's what we will become. But... Those spiritual beings, the Bible says that Yahweh stands amongst the Elohim and judges them. And here's what his judgment is. Because you have defiled man, you will die 
as a man. What does mm-hmm. that mean? Who's he talking to? These are the questions. These are the things that you, you're going to have to recon- reconcile and wrestle with. That if you don't like the theology that was just laid out, tear that passage out of the Bible. You, you have to. It's bad academics to say, well, that I just can't accept that. Well, Psalms clearly says it. In fact, I, I think it would be helpful if I read the, the Psalm. I think that would help somebody just so they can see it for themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Psalm 82. So Psalm 82. All right. God. It's the word Elohim there. What version of the Bible are you reading? I'm reading the... Uh, okay, so check this out. I'm going to read through verse 7. God stands in the congregation of the mighty... He judges among the gods. That's Elohim. And this is what he says. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Free them from the hand of the wicked. They do not know, nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are unstable. I said, you are Elohim. And all of you are children of the Most High. But, so, me pause. Someone will say, well, Holloway, he's talking about, he's talking about actual kings and whatnot. Well, then why does he say the very next statement where he says, but you shall die like Adams, like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all nations. So again, we could spend a whole week just on this topic. It's called the Table of Nations. The Table of Nations is mentioned by um, Moses. So I'm going to read that one real quick. Okay. Genesis chapter uh, 10, verse 9. It shows us the entire people group that come out of the line of um, Noah. You know, his sons, uh, Ham, Shem, Japheth, fun fact, the name Shem. That's where the Israelites came out of. Yeah. We talked about it earlier in this, this episode. Shem is the Hebrew word name. Yeah. His name was name. Yeah. His name is name. And Shem was the one who propagated all of the Israelites. Jesus was a Shemite. Abraham. Wow was a Shemite. And what did he tell Abraham through the line of Shem? He said, hey, come out from among them, the tribes of Ham and Japheth, and I will make your name great. And through you, I will reach all those nations. Okay, that's a pretty big scripture. And then Jesus is born through the line of name. And to him was given the name. He this is what I'm talking about. Like, what's one scripture that just nails down the name? The whole movie. Yeah, you got to watch the whole movie. You got to see all it. the way back. That started with a man named Nate. <laughs> yes. So why? Why that? So if you look at Genesis 10, which is the table of nations, you'll see that through this. Now, this is the genealogy of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. 
and sons were born to them after the flood. The sons of Japheth were Gomer, Magog, Medei, Javan, Tubal, Meshach. It was down on this line. These are 52 total nations. Come down and says, according to their families, according to their languages, and in their lands and their nations, verse 20. And children were born also to Shem, um, the father of all the children of Eber, the brother of Jephoth, uh, Japheth, the elder of the sons of Shem, was Elam. These, verse 32, were the families of the sons of Noah, according to the generations in their nations. And from these, the nations were divided on the earth after the flood. These nations were each given a spiritual watcher that looked over them. And one by one, they started rebelling and distorting the nations, which is where we get the third fall. And that is Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel. Yeah. So while the, t- the Tower of Babel is being constructed and 51 nations are rebelling, God takes one nation aside through the line of Shem and says, Abram, come out from among them. I will make your name great. And through you, I'll reach all those other nations. I'm going to get my, those are my sons and daughters. They have been distorted by these spiritual beings. They've been warped and confused. Polytheism started at the Tower of Babel, archaeology. As, uh, has started to confirm this. I'm going to take you out from among them. I'm going to teach you the doctrines of God and through you, all nation. The word nation is the Hebrew word goyim. Goyim translated into English is Gentile. Through you, all Gentiles will be blessed. So watch this. We get back to, this is God's ambition. I want all my sons and daughters back. But to do that, to get them back from the nations, to get them back from the fallen beings, I've got to go to war against sin. So to do that, I'm going to have to come as a man and I'm going to have to die for men to take away the power of sin against them to get them back. So watch the three major conversions of the book of Acts, bro. Oh man, the movie. Watch the movie. God, whoa. I love this stuff. So when you get to the book of Acts, you have three primary conversions and everybody debates me. They're like, well, if tongues was so important then why doesn't God show it in every situation in the book of Acts? I'm like the same reason why when you read a book, it describes the main character having blonde hair and blue eyes. It doesn't keep reestablishing that over and over and over and over again in every chapter. Yeah. That's been established. We know that the main character's got blonde hair and blue eyes. If something changes, then the writer will cue us in on that. So the first conversion of the nations was in Acts 2, and they spoke with tongues. Luke doesn't have to keep doing that. He doesn't have to keep telling us. That's established. If that changes, he'll tell us, but it doesn't. But the three conversions, the Ethiopian eunuch, he would have been through the line of Ham. He was an Ethiopian eunuch. Wow. Cornelius, or not, uh, yes, Cornelius. He would have been through the line of Japheth. Paul was through the line of Shem. Why did Luke just show us Paul, the Ethiopian, and Cornelius? He was showing us one from each tribe. That means all nations are now able to come home. So another little fun thing. When you see in Genesis, when Adam and Eve was cast out towards, uh, out of the garden, they were cast towards the east. Stop thinking of east as like this sterile little E on a compass. Think of east as a character in the, in the narrative. 
Think of West as a character. So Adam and Eve are cast out of the heavenly place towards the east. Little fun fact, when God builds the tabernacle in the wilderness, guess where the Holy of Holies was? It was in the west. So to turn to God, you had to, in Hebrew, tashuva, which means turn around. Teshuva got translated into English as? Repent. Repent. Turn wow. from east to, to west. west and walk to the Holy of Holies. Watch this. Luke. When you get to Acts, where Luke is giving the list, and they heard each of them speaking in their, their tongue, Parthians, Elamites, Greeks, the whole thing, just going down the list. Take that list from top to bottom. Flip it over sideways. The top over here, or the bottom rather, is the easternmost part of the map. He's listing them from east to west. No way. Yeah, bro. What? Yeah. It's not just a random list of names. He strategically wrote them in such a way that he's systematically going from the easternmost portion of their map to the westernmost portion. What is Luke doing? He's, he's telling a story. The nations, the Gentiles are coming home. They're each hearing in their language the glory of God being spoken. What? Yeah, bro. There's so much there. So much there. So let's... Let's do that again, you know. I gotta meditate real quick, man. Oh, dude. Oh, dude. Whoa. It's. I yeah. was trying to look that up on uh, on Google real quick, man. That's that's very interesting. I'm gonna have to go back and study that. That's yeah, awesome. Man. That My is brain really fell cool. out on the floor. That's My really cool. Floor. I studied it. So when God called Abram out of uh, Ur, Ur is in the east. Where did He call him? He called him to Bethel. Bethel is west as it pertains to Ur. He called him from east to west. And guess what Abraham did? He settled in between. The Bible said that he settled between the city of Ai and Bethel. And he traveled yearly. This is the stuff we miss when we look at geography. Just like, ah, who cares? It's just geography. No, it matters. It's part of the story. They're characters. For 25 years, Abraham travels from Hebron, which is north, to Egypt, which is far south. He was supposed to go east to Bethel, which Bethel in Hebrew is house of God. Bethel. And he travels north and south. Fun fact, the Hebrew word for Egypt is uh, Arix Mitzrayim, the land of Egypt. Mitzrayim translates to the stuck place he was stuck yeah but he could justify living in between because he's like i'm not in the city of i anymore like yeah but you're not fully committed to the house of god either you're somewhere in limbo in between and guess what god did he said so i tested him one last time Avraham, which is father of multitude, go up to that mountain. Which mountain? Bethel. And sacrifice your son. Why did Abraham wake up early the next day to sacrifice his son? Why was he in such a hurry to do this? Because he had faith in the name. Yeah. His name was Avraham. God gave him that name. 
Avraham in Hebrew means father of a multitude. My son cannot die. Yeah, because I'm a, because of the name. Nuts, yeah, the name is going to save me. Wow. Yeah. Sorry, that was just a way oh, off the rails. Don't apologize, man. I feel like we could spend another hour just on like keep digging and going deep with that and pulling up maps and doing all that. But this is just a Q and R today. <laughs> Hopefully that also shows why I, I struggle with just a one hit. Scripture. Yeah, you yeah you can't do it because yeah you can't do it. The, the roots go further down, deeper, deeper, deeper. And I'm not. Please, please. I hope my heart's breaking here. I hope the person who sent that in is not feeling like, oh man, he just keeps bringing that up. I'm not. I I that was a hundred percent me. I wanted the efficient way to because it's good motives. I want to convert people. Yeah. If I only get to speak to them this one time, what can I do? That's probably the true nature of that question. Yeah. I'm never going to see this person at Target again. What can I tell them right now that's going to convince them? Right. Here's what I would say to that. Just trust the process. It's not, it's not always, highlight always, it's not always my job to get somebody from a one to a 10. Yeah. One being they don't believe in anything Christianity and 10 is their Holy Ghost filled believer pursuing a ministry. Sometimes it's my job is to get them from a one to a two. And I have to trust that God loves them far more than I do. And he's going to send another man or woman of God into their life and get them from a two to a four. That's really good. Yeah. I trust that process. I really believe that God loves these people far more than I do. Yeah. And he knows what he's got to do to reach the ones that are seeking. Yeah. And it eliminates the pressure from me. So hopefully that eliminates the pressure from someone listening. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I can go I love that. on stuff like no, that. No, I love that. Um, real quick before we end this uh episode, this Q and R episode, a uh, quick snippet of season two. Do you want to say anything for season two to get people pumped up and ready? What are, what are we gonna be talking about here? Justice and righteousness. When you see it in the Bible, it seems like they're always lumped together. But what is justice? We hear it in courtrooms, justice will be served. But is that what the Bible's really talking about? And is righteousness, is it really all about my list of, of do's and don'ts? What is it all about? That series is going to explore that, and it'll be surprising. But it's also, I believe it will change your life. I hope y'all are looking forward to it. It changed my life. It truly did. My wife and I, our entire household changed it transformed us i'm ready and so i believe it will do the same for whoever listens i believe Not so because too. we're teaching it but because the word advocates it right right yep i love it well thank you aj for this uh q and r episode and thank you to everyone listening yes look y'all be patient with us we're, 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 we're working on season two we're back we're back we're ready to rock and roll again so we look forward to kicking off season two here shortly but thank you for listening to this episode if you would please Subscribe if you haven't already to our uh, YouTube or any of our outlets that we're putting out this. Um, share with your friends and family. And uh, again, we're just getting the word out for this McCraw Bible study. Go read your Bibles. Oh, I'm sorry. AJ, tell them. Sign them off. Sign them off. Go read your Bibles. That's it. Next time I'm going to say good morning to that. <laughs> you should. We'll throw everybody off. <laughs> sorry. I got excited about that. Go read your Bible. Season two. Yep. We love y'all. We will see you in the next one. Bye.